what gets lost is that we don't have a relationship of curiosity to ourselves. What is inside of me? What wants expression? What wants to be known? Um, we don't listen very well. We don't listen very well to each other, but we certainly don't listen very well to ourselves. A lot of people don't know how they feel, don't know how to feel. And that feels like such a fundamental aspect of being alive. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about personal and collective transformation. My guest today is Prentice Hempel, who is a teacher, an embodiment coach, and a writer. Prentice is the founder of the Embodiment Institute, which is a training institute and cultural change engine that has the very beautiful and necessary mission of developing people and organizations to be agents of transformation in families and social movements and the environment. Prior to founding the Embodiment Institute, Prentice was the Healing Justice Director for Black Lives Matter Global Network and the lead somatics teacher for generative somatics, as well as BOLD, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. I discovered Prentice through their incredible podcast, Finding Our Way, which explores how we can embody the world that we want to live in. They launched the podcast in the summer of 2020 and have had a really incredible slate of guests over the course of three seasons, including Sonia Renee Taylor, Adrienne Marie Brown, Patrice Cullors, Lama Rod Owens, Alok, and Alexis Pauline Gums, among many others. And if you haven't yet listened to it, I really can't recommend Finding Our Way Enough. The conversations are rich and deep and funny and truly healing. Prentice creates a really beautiful container for exploration, and you can feel it in the conversations that emerge. I've been an admirer for a long time of the quality of presence and groundedness and insight that they bring to every single conversation that they participate in, and it was a real honor to experience that myself in this dialogue. So continuing to explore this season's theme of coming home, we talked about how coming back into the body and honoring our bodies helps us honor those around us. We talked about how rhythm helps us attune to our bodies and to the cycles of life and how the dominant culture often cuts us off from that rhythm. And we also talked about why healing always happens in relationship and what that means for our current models, which focus so strongly on individual healing. One technical note, we didn't have a great connection for our call, so you'll hear a few of those wobbly, electronic, kind of, I'm speaking from inside the matrix type glitches uh, from time to time in this conversation. But I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Prentice Sempil. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. Ah, such a pleasure. I have followed your work for a very long time, so it's really wonderful to be in presence with you. I would love to start simple and ask what's on your mind right now. Are there certain questions that you're sitting with or energies that you're working with that are feeling very salient for you right now? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of questions um, that I'm sitting with right now. Maybe a lot of us are. I am always kind of sitting with this question underneath everything of how do we change? how do we really change? How do we deeply change? Maybe even fundamentally change into who we really are. But I'm holding that question next to this sense of urgency that I have around 
the kind of crises that we are in the middle of um really global species level crises that i see um and i'm trying to hold this question of how do we change or how do we become the people that can meet this moment um and i'm trying to hold it in a way that doesn't produce more urgency or fear or anxiety but produces kind of courage and connection and a willingness to get in. So those are the questions underneath everything that I'm I'm kind of holding. I have a lot of other questions that <laughs> both enliven and trouble me, um, but they all kind of sit on top of those. Mm, yeah, thank you. One of the things that you said just then was in the context of change, like how do we get to who we really are? So when you say that, who we really are, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm not really thinking about kind of a static personality. That's not really how I'm holding it. I'm more thinking about what do human beings need to feel well and whole, for lack of a better word. What are the things we we crave when we don't have fear or a kind of culture around denial piled on top of what we really long for? What do we really want to reach for? What do we really want to experience? Um, how much awe is available to us when we're not busy and distracted or our attention and is broken through the kinds of activities we engage in or through experiences we've had in the past. What what could life really be like or what do we long for life to really be like? And that's really what I mean when I talk about who we are. Not so much like, you know, you're going to determine who you are and that's who you're going to be forever. It's more like how can we be almost joined with our change and our growth and development? Mm. Um as opposed to resistant to it. Mm. I saw you share this on Instagram recently. And because I wanted to talk to you quite a bit about the body, about embodiments today, um, I wanted to ask if you could just share what is your definition of embodiment? You know, I'm writing right now and I just wrote a whole chapter about that. And yet when the question comes to me directly, something in me kind of seizes up. I'm like, oh God, do I have a, do I have a good definition of it? Um, I think part of it is that we use the word in multiple ways. And so I think there's multiple definitions because of that. So for me, embodiment is one, there's one level to it where it's sort of understanding what exists inside of you, what your impulses are, again, what your longings are, um, what stories are kind of lurking inside of your system that are shaping how you engage and build relationship. That's one part of it, that developing that awareness. Uh, another part of it, and what I guess what I want to say about the first part is that we may have things embodied in us that don't actually uh, align with our values. Mm. We may be doing things or have really well-practiced behaviors that don't align with who we really want to be in the world. And so embodiment in that way 
when the word is used that way is almost um, neutral in the sense that it's, it's just about understanding what is, what is for you right now. The other aspect of the word and the way we use it is about becoming, it's the process of becoming more sensitive to what is actually happening inside of your multiple systems, inside the system that we call the body. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a sensitivity that we have to almost turn back up, turn the volume back up, because a lot of it has been crowded out through the ways that life happens now and the kinds of structures and um, uh, the pace of human life we get a, a little bit disconnected from uh, the sensations of our bodies, what's actually happening in them. And we also, in many ways, get taught not to value them. So part of embodiment for me is really that ongoing process of becoming familiar with and sensitive to um, what is happening in our bodies and living actually from that place. So not only using you know, the mind is even a, it's even a more complex term than it used to be. We hold it a little bit more complexly. You know, the mind in some ways originates from multiple processes of the body, but the way we think about the mind is rational. The way we kind of narrow our perception of the mind, we use it to discern what's happening externally, that that there's actually a way to think that can include the body that can include more of our more of what happens in our guts, more of what happens in our hearts. And I, I think the embodiment that I'm kind of calling for is a way of thinking, being, acting that can include the functions of the brain, the functions of the heart, the functions of the gut and everything else in between. Mm. So you were talking about valuing the information of the body, maybe more than we often do in the way that we're trained to in this culture. And lately I've been reflecting on the idea of honoring the body and asking myself if I'm honoring my body and what I'm eating or in the way that I'm working or in the way that I'm speaking or in the way that I'm relating. Um, and in various meditations that I've heard you lead, I notice you inviting folks to tune into the dignity of being truly present in their body and there seems to me to be some resonance there between this idea of honoring ourselves and of feeling into our dignity. Could you talk about how coming back into the body, breathing fully is connected to honoring oneself, to, to dignity, to self-respect? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few ways that I feel tempted to go in that question. And I think... <laughs> One of them is that when I started to, I guess to use the word honor, honor my life or care for my life, it made it possible for me to care for the lives around me and the complexities of the lives around me. I think mm. that to really be seated in, I mean, one, to know that there's like a, that inside of each of us, there's much more than what we often get told. I mean, there's a kind of, there's an access to the infinite, I think, through 
our own perception and through our own feeling. And that is a really humbling <laughs> experience for me and to tend to what can arise and what does arise. And, you know, I think about my energy each day. How do I really cultivate the kind of energy that keeps me centered and has me in the dance of balance? Like it, I have to go to sleep at a certain time. I have to sleep for a certain period of time. There are certain foods that work for my body. I can't say what works for everyone's body, but that help me maintain that openness, that softness, that clarity. And I think that's really the root of any of my ability to be compassionate or to relate to people or to express my needs or um, to express my boundaries. There's this, there's a relationship there. Um, and dignity for me, I think related to that, there's something about, you know, dignity to me has a lot to do with integrity. You know, dignity is one mm -hmm. kind of human interpretation of it. But when you think about like um, a plant growing out of the ground, you know, it, at least from our vantage point, <laughs> there's not a lot of shame to that process. There's not a lot of hiding. It's always seeking mm. the sun and seeking growth. Um, and as human beings, we, because we have this emotional embodied emotional content going on, there's something that can always pull at us from the inside and bring us down or have us hide. And uh, to me, dignity is not about, it's not approving, it's not a showing off, but it's allowing yourself to blossom in that same inherent way to be fully in yourself to the edges of your skin to the edges of your being there's nothing to apologize for you can be as full as you are in every dimension and to me that's dignity it's allowing your integrity allowing the inherent wholeness of you uh to be here and that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes it doesn't mean things aren't hard but it never no matter what mistake we make, no matter what we do, we are never less here. We are never less deserving of our lives. And to me, dignity is really the visceral experience of that. And I show up for all of it. Mm, I love that. I wanted to ask you something, and it feels maybe related to what we're talking about in relation to dignity, which is I remember listening to um, a past interview that I had heard with you and you had shared in that interview a statement from one of your teachers, which was uh, embodiment is conviction. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about what that phrase means to you. Well, it's actually um, <laughs> the context of that conversation was that I was saying how I wanted to be an actor when I was little. <laughs> Um, really until college, I really wanted to be an actor. And it was, um, I, I really enjoyed it because I could get inside of the bodies of other people. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's, it, it was almost like just really mapping how, how might this person move or speak? How might their eyes move to convey this or my, what might be the range of their movement was, it was a mapping project for me and it was an exploration because certain things make sense from 
certain ways we comport ourselves. You know, certain phrases make sense from certain ways that a body might comport oneself. Um, so I was talking to my teacher about that, about wanting, having wanted to act and kind of being curious about bringing that into my adult life. And she said, well, it makes sense because embodiment is conviction. And it's really about being fully in whatever, kind of like we were just talking about, whatever the experience is. And the more that I kind of explore that phrase, because it really struck me, and the more that I understand about my own body and bodies more generally, is that there is this cellular alignment that's possible. You know, I, I often say when I work with clients, sometimes a part of your body can be elsewhere in another time, another moment in your life. And other parts of you could be here, but there's something that's, it's almost like something running in the background and draining energy because it doesn't allow you to be here. It's still trying to reconcile something from another time. And that's shows up muscular. It shows up in your muscular system. It shows up in your fascial system. It shows up cellular on a cellular level that there are parts of you that are doing other things. And so for me, the pursuit or the exploration really inside of embodiment is how can I get more of me to do the same thing more of the time to be present more, not, not in a, I'm going to arrive perfectly, at least not for me in the way that I work with people, everything has to be right here, but how, how might I collect more of myself from those places in the past where I might be stuck how can I retrieve those aspects of myself? And to me, that's part of conviction. It's like allowing most of you to show up in any given moment with a, with a, perhaps a commitment, something you're here to do or something you're here to express, or at least in a kind of authenticity and integrity. How can most of you show up for that assignment? This episode is brought to you by Hover. So I have recently been in the midst of reinventing myself online. I rebranded Hurry Slowly. I redesigned the podcast website. I created a landing page for a new course. And now I'm designing a new personal website and I'm designing another one for my energy healing work. It's a lot. But part of what makes the whole process smoother is using Hover. Because Hover is all about helping you take the first step to get your ideas off the ground whether it's starting a business, creating a brand, or sharing your gifts with the world. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt of building or a business that you want to take online, the first step is really finding your domain name. And Hover makes it super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, really easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. It's really never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. Getting online has helped thousands of people around the world reach new heights with their businesses. And in addition to the classics like .com, you can get extensions like .shop, .tech, and .art, with over 400 more to choose from. You'll be able to find the perfect domain name for your business, one that's memorable, that's relevant, and that boosts your brand. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. And if you ever run into trouble, help is just a phone call or a chat away. Secure, simple, and reliable. Hover is a trusted and popular choice amongst millions of people launching any kind of brand or business. 
If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head on over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. I spend a lot of time thinking about self-expression and kind of how to get into more flow with it. And I often think about, you know, the root word that's in there, right? Express, like as in to take something inward and express it outward, you know, the breath, the voice, a physical gesture. And that this idea of expression is always in some sense connected to movement or embodiment. It's not a, a waiting or a seeking or a thinking. It's really about kind of settling into yourself and flowing. And I'm curious to see, I guess I'm curious to hear how you think about self-expression and embodiment. It seemed like you were sort of starting to dip into that a little bit. I mean, I think when we're talking about breath or even movement, a lot of my practice and just where I come from, I'm almost a step back from expression. I, it, it, I'm thinking about rhythm. I'm thinking about mm. the inhale, exhale, the contraction, the release. I'm thinking about the inhale, exhale as a unit or as a relationship, as the dance of, it's the vibratory dance of everything. Um I, I'm thinking about rhythm. And so, you know, rhythm really helps me express, you know, um, I've been thinking a lot lately about, you know, we often think about the person who discovered how to make fire, you know, as that the major technological advancement, which it was and is, and so was the person that could express the beat of the heart on a drum mm. and the ability to speak to our bodies from that place and to connect our bodies and connect our heartbeats through rhythm, because that is the expression of, you know, it's the pulse, it's the pulse of, of life. So I think about expression in that way that it, to me does have, to, it is in relationship to the internal, the kind of pondering, considering, you know, rumination is when we don't allow the expression to come, you know, we just hold on to it, hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But rhythm is like, I know when to let go. I know when the beat drops, I let this thing go, whatever state that it's in, because it's about more than the perfection. It's about being in relationship to life, but also go in and also come out and also go in and also come out. So I think about rhythm a lot. And I think about the kind of dominating aspects of the culture that we live in is very, um, it's not rhythmic. (laughs) There's no rhythm. There's no rhythm. And lack of rhythm is really taking us out because rhythm, you know, when you think about the profit graph, and the never ending reach kind of going in one direction always. There's no rhythm to that. Mm-hmm. Heartbeat has a rhythm. Life has a rhythm. There's cycles to things. So I think our lack of rhythm overall, the, the internal external dance is really a, a major challenge of our time. Yeah. I, I feel that. I feel that there's no uh, pulsing and pausing. It's just this going and going and going and going and going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how that relates to, I was uh, 
listening to a conversation that you had with um, Adrian Marie Brown a while ago on the Emergent Strategy podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things you were talking about in that podcast, you referred to kind of um, spending most of our lives in control mode with regard mm-hmm. to our bodies and how you know being more aware of our bodies can increase our choices. And I'm curious if you could speak to this idea of being in control mode and and what that does to us. And I'm imagining that, you know, has some relationship to sort of not being in rhythm, not being in the cyclicalness, not being in the Absolutely. Yeah. How are you going to meet that profit margin if you have a wild body that has needs and desires? You have to control that thing. (laughs) You have to control that thing. You have to get it it in line. Um that is the relationship fundamentally to me you have you have to control it and we become not only that i think the the you know i was just thinking yesterday about how at this stage we aren't we're not really determining as communities or as groups of people what is sacred to us? What has value? Mm-hmm. You know, because if if we really were like, these trees have value, we'd we'd act differently in our environment. Or, you know, the the uh I guess diversity of living beings on earth, like we value that. We'd make different decisions, but we value other things. And I think a lot of our our ability to make value, to create value has sort of been taken away from our place, taken away from our relationships. And it's really in the market, the market determines value and our, our, our convenience and our insecurities, you know, kind of feed into what is made valuable and what we pursue. But who we imagine we're supposed to be is externally determined. Essentially it's determined by the market. It's determined by factors outside of us. And then we're always trying to measure ourselves up to who we're supposed to be and who we get sold. We're supposed to be. And it takes our attention away from who do I want to be? Who do I feel that I am? And our relationship to ourselves becomes, how can I make this raw material that I've been saddled with in this life, this body, how do I do my best to make it into something that has value. I mean, it it has real, um, there's real material consequences. You know what I mean? If you can make your body conform enough, you might be able to get by a little bit better than somebody who can't, who has more of an unruly body. But we all end up relating to ourselves in that way. We have to control the emotions. This is the range that is acceptable. We have to control our our bodies are you know i grew up having to control my hair having to control the way i spoke so that i could be acceptable in certain places but what gets lost is that we don't have a relationship of curiosity to ourselves what is inside of me what wants expression like we were talking about what what wants to be known um we don't listen very well we don't listen very well to each other but we certainly don't listen very well to ourselves and I think that has a lot to do with this overarching value of control. Get in line, get in line, get get your body in line to the degree that, you know, the people, a lot of people I've worked with and even, 
you know, as I began this journey with myself, I didn't even know how I felt. A lot of people don't know how they feel, don't know how to feel. And that feels like such a fundamental aspect of being alive is to feel. But so much of our society has made that a really um, unknown experience for so many people. So um, I, I think this control piece really is our preoccupation with making ourselves into who we think we're supposed to be. Uh, and this value of curiosity to me is really where a lot of our more liberated experiences of being alive can be found. Cause I don't, I don't know fully what it means for any of us to be embodied. I don't even, I don't know what it is possible fully for human beings to feel. I felt a lot of things I didn't know I could, but there's still more to feel. There's still more there. And I'm really curious about us kind of turning in that direction to understand what is available for us in these lives. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think the, I, and for me, I think a lot about the technology piece of it, how, you know, we're constantly interf interfacing with our phones and all of these apps and these tools that are constantly sort of imparting these values of efficiency and instant gratification and urgency and, you know, exponential growth. And as you said, so we just, you know, we, we get that message again and again and again and again. And so it's really difficult not to internalize it. And I think similarly, so much of that, how much we're in relationship to technology, to computers feels like it really pulls us, you know, into the mind and, and out of the body. And lately I've really, I've been using this language around the idea of coming home to the body. And, you know, I think I've been using that language because I was, quite disconnected for some of the reasons I just described, you know, really wasn't feeling at home in my body and operated for a really long time in this kind of vigilant sort of shallow breathing, you know, kind of mode. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how the phrase coming home to the body lands with you. Does that resonate or does it feel sort of problematic in some way? I mean, obviously we're always technically here in the body, but the sense of feeling at home here feels like that's a real energetic shift from the way kind of everything around us tends to encourage us to be in relationship to our body. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does resonate. I think that <laughs> I wouldn't say it's problematic. I just think that the trouble sometimes is that our experiences with home are so fraught. Um, yes. But I, you know, I think, um, Bodies can also be pretty fraught too. There's a lot in there. There's a lot that we can experience and it's not all nice. You know, that's why we, one of the reasons why we try to get out of them as much as we can, because sometimes they feel pretty icky in there. Um, so yeah, but I think that's part of it. You know, home, home is the it's belonging. It's like the place where I belong, the place where I am, the place where I become. Um, and so, yeah, I think coming home to the body makes sense. It's, it's returning to, you know, I have a, a uh, I have a kid who's a year and a half and 
for all the work I've done, I don't inhabit my body the way that she does. You know, she's really tactile and experimental, you know, with her body <laughs> in a way that really opens up something for me. But I, I, I'm curious about that for, for each of us. Yeah. How do we return to, it's not that we become babies again, but, uh, cause a lot has, I mean, we've experienced a lot, a lot has happened, but it, it returned to that kind of, um, allowance and, um, honesty and curiosity and sensitivity. Yeah. I, I like that a lot and belonging. That's a big one. Belonging. Yeah. I've heard you use uh, the phrase, I think, you know, healing happens in relation um, in many different places. And I think that was something you were kind of getting at a little bit earlier in the conversation. And I was thinking about you, I did an interview with um, the For the Wild podcast a while ago. And Mm -hmm. something in that interview that really stuck with me was you were talking about how there was a direct correlation between satisfaction and vulnerability. (laughs) And I would love to hear you share a a little bit more about your perspective on that relationship between satisfaction and, and vulnerability. Yeah, I will, I will just say to the earlier part of your question, um, yeah, the relationship piece is really big for me that, uh, yes, kind of moving from an individualistic healing perspective is really important. And I, I've, you know, we say that a lot, um, but I also think it's like in relationships, we we are always in relationship, whether or not we are willing to acknowledge it or not whether or not we have the capacity to be aware of it or not. We're in relationships to the place where we live, to the ground, we're in relationship to the um, people that grow the food that we eat, to the, you know, there's just so many webs of relationship and our ability to be aware of those relationships, I think is some, if I were to start to define what well-being might be, I think that's one of the, directions. I'd be curious about how aware are we of the web of relationships that create us, that make us. Um, And relationships are really where whatever transformation we've been engaging in, in our interior, the question is, how do they really shift our relationships or form our relationships? It's really you know, I used to work as a therapist. I work with people one-on-one and we could have something really magical happen. And then they go into lives and this, this new way of being in their bodies or in their practices, it's revealed in relationships. Um, what, what has really transformed is really revealed in relationships. So I think relationships are really, to me, where we measure change and um, how we come to be made and remade. <clears throat> and to your point around vulnerability and satisfaction, um, or your question, yeah, this is something I, I think about a lot. I, I, I probably, when you heard me talk about it, I may have been talking about 
doing conflict transformation work, but it was something that came to me working with a group, an organization that was struggling around conflict and, and essentially someone wasn't wanting to say the hard thing. They're really holding it close to their chest. And it was a moment of me trying to kind of hold their hand to the process and say, there's this correlation. And it feels, you know, mathematical to me. There's a, there's a correlation. I'm not going to say it's like, it will produce satisfaction, but there's some correlation between your ability to say, to express what is true for you. What do you long for? And your ability to be, to experience satisfaction in this life. And somehow there's a good number of us, not everyone that's gotten the message that, you know, I need to stay quiet about the things that I really feel. And I, you know, I just really want us all to experience satisfaction (laughs) to have those moments of really like, oh, my, my need was met. I can't guarantee that anybody's need will get met through vulnerability, but it's more likely that it will be if you share what's true. Or even if this relationship won't be able to meet this need, even saying it out to yourself gives it a little bit more uh, contour, but also gives it that kind of legitimacy. This is something that I desire, that I want satisfaction around. And how can that then guide some of the decisions I'm making in the relationships that I'm choosing? So. Yeah, there's a there's a mathematical correlation between vulnerability and satisfaction. I think it it might be kind of surprising for people to know about me is that I often think about emotions in a way that feels mathematical. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was chuckling to myself when you were talking earlier about you know the the changes that we make, you know, only are only really seeing what those changes look like in relationship. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were both single at the time this many years ago. And, you know, we were kind of talking about like the work we've been doing and how much we had changed and, you know, we're kind of feeling good about ourselves. And I was like, let's get into some relationships and see. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see what this really looks like. That's right. <laughs> but maybe going a little bit, um, deeper into what you were, you were kind of starting to articulate about, you know, transformation as a personal endeavor versus transformation as a collective endeavor, or, you know, specifically as one, which were in relation to everyone. Um, You know, there's a snippet of your bio on your website that says that fundamentally your work is about disrupting the complacency and the comfort of mainstream healing and therapeutic models and infusing what we know of justice, repair, and accountability into our deepest work of transformation. And I would love to hear you kind of unpack that a little bit more, how that complacency and comfort shows up in the mainstream and what a different model might look like or the model that you're kind of pursuing, I guess. Yeah. um, I think one aspect of that relates to your question uh, about relationships, actually, uh, that this, that sometimes healing can be sold to us as, um, 
a kind of individual thing that we do and the, the it's 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 almost like the the results of whatever practices we undergo are kind of like I personally get to hoard these mm. you know <laughs> these jewels of experiences that I have <laughs> that's like the goal um <clears throat> so I think there's one aspect of that this that kind of individual it's not it's not that relationships kind of muddy it up you know when we have to get in relationships it's I can have a pristine individual um experience as though anything is individual any any retreat that you go to is built by someone someone that feeds you there's you know it's always relational um I, I also think there's this idea I mean one of the things I want to say is that experiencing comfort is really important so I don't want to say that comfort is not comfort <laughs> and pleasure and rest are very, very important. Um, and it can be deeply healing and transformative to our systems when we experience that. Um, and we also, we change through the experience of comfort, pleasure, and we change through the experience of discomfort and um, challenge. Now, the caveat here is that um, oppression is a different function than the challenges and discomfort that I think can exist in our world. I think oppression is kind of, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but it kind of concentrates mm -hmm. challenges and barriers. Um, but a discomfort that's... Uh, where we can move through something challenging, but still reach for connection is a completely different experience. And I think we can also grow through those experiences too, or even grow through a kind of confrontation with ourselves or our shadows or all of that kind of work too, that there's that also that transforms and changes us and matures us, I think. Um, so, that's part of it. And I think also the way kind of wellness and healing gets set up now is that it's, um, you know, it, it kind of becomes a kind of gated community healing, you know, it's, it's yeah. pricier. It's removed from the masses of people who, you know, are kind of eyesores to us, you know, it's like, I go to a beautiful place and I retreat, Again, I'm not saying don't do these things. I have done and do these things occasionally. And if this is what we believe healing is, I think we get really stuck. I think we get really stuck in thinking that we can't be transformed through discomfort, that what we experience should be private and isolated and exclusionary, um, and that there's nothing else in the world from in these places that we might think of as messy that can actually transform and mature us and grow us and heal us too. Um, and I just think that that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Um, <laughs> and I, I want us to one grapple with this idea that, you know, healing for some, but not for all, you know, and, what that leads to why not have a culture why not have a society that has healing at the center of it um what would that do for all of us so there's that aspect of it but there's also this aspect of 
there is something healing about acknowledging these relationships. There's something healing in the cultures that we might denigrate or we might say don't have anything of value to add to the world. There is something persistently, I think, you know, as a Black person speaking specifically, there's something persistently healing inside of aspects of the culture that I am a part of and grew up in. Um, and I want us to remember that. I want us to also remember, and I'm speaking really about Black people in this moment, remember how to use our technologies well. Because I think the way that, you know, money has come in and profit has come in and, and warped how we use our technology is, it's part of the issue. It's messed up the rhythm of it you know we apply it in places where it doesn't go and we don't apply the aspects of it when we need it the most so i i think that has kind of um messed us up so all that to say there's there's deeply healing aspects of our traditions and our cultures and how do we get back to using them really really well um because life is full of beauty Life is full of joy and pleasure. I mean, abundance. And life is also sad at times. There's also suffering. And when I think about us becoming the kind of people that can meet this moment, it's about becoming people that are not always seeking comfort, but that can be with what is, which is the beauty of what is already here and also show up for the hard things too. You know, you're starting to get at something I wanted to ask you about, which is I've been thinking a lot lately about heaviness versus lightness and thinking about what we're sort of talking about here, right? Of really taking responsibility, really being accountable for your actions, for your relationships, for how you're healing and how that's happening in relationship to other people. And I guess one of the things that I'm thinking about is how to kind of be in a space where you're very, you're holding that responsibility, you're open to discomfort, but you're not necessarily living in a space of heaviness. So you were just talking about, right, the imperative of lightness, of joy, of pleasure. And I think I'm just kind of curious how you see that or feel that or think about that in terms of kind of navigating between that heaviness that can come sometimes when you're wrestling with change, when you're trying to really work into transformation and, and needing to have that balance of lightness and joy. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about this with a group of folks that I do curriculum work with, because we were talking about ease and rest and, um, and rhythm and uh how ease can be in more places than we allow it ease can also be in the things that we do or the work that we do we can bring a kind of ease to it the quality of uh i think you talked about flow the, the quality of how we do and how we do the things that we are committed to yeah i think about that i um there's also this piece to me about responsibility and that, you know, sometimes when I think about, oh gosh, everything's connected, it feels 
it feels burdensome if I'm honest it feels like oh gosh I feel suffocated by relationships I'm like ah how do I get out of here um but I think it has to do with um knowing a kind of right size responsibility that because I'm in relationship with everything it doesn't mean that I'm equally responsible in the same way and how do I titrate my like responsibility or understand my power in any given situation that I do have power in some moments. And then sometimes my power is limited. And so it's right sizing all of that inside of me so that I don't try to um, take on a kind of heaviness as a, as a way of trying to do something about the things that I see it's almost like a self punishment for other experiences in the world. And that doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve anybody to um, carry the weight of things that aren't necessarily in direct relationship with you to, to carry them further than you can carry them. And I'm, you know, it's like choosing my language carefully here. Cause I don't want to, Yes. I don't want to say that we don't have responsibility, but I, I think we're not maybe as practiced in holding. I find this true about a lot of our uh, emotional capacities, and maybe it's just me, but to to hold it, to say that there's it's a gradient scale, that in this place, I have this much power in this place. I have this much power and that there are differences there. And I can hold those differences in my body. To me, that's flow. That's movement. like showing up, holding things with the right weight for where you are positioned in your life and knowing that so much has to do with presence. So much has to do with choosing what you commit to, what you commit to is your piece to work on. You can't do everything. That's why we have relationships <laughs> with people who are doing other things. <laughs> if you think you have to do it all, you're going to feel really overwhelmed, but there's a piece of it that's yours. And the other piece that you probably hold are like, how do I enjoy my life while I'm here? I'm really interested in that for all of us to live these lives while we're here um, and not be kind of in denial about our responsibility and relationship and not be in some kind of guilt cycle that doesn't allow us to be present to all that is. So it's really a dance. It's really a, a dance. It's a flexibility and it's trial and error, but I think there's, there's a way to, a, a way to do it, to bring your full presence and care and also know what parts don't belong to you. Yes. Thank you for that. I like the idea of right sizing. So one last question for you, if you were to leave the folks listening with one question to um, reflect on vis-a-vis the concept of home, which is something I'm exploring this season, or the concept of coming home to the body, what would it be? Hmm. 
a couple questions that I'm I'm working with is um, can you um, almost like can you believe that you belong here? And there's a part of embodiment to me that's about belonging to Earth, belonging to this place, um, belonging with each other, belonging with the people that we are choosing to deepen relationship with, um, belonging in our bodies. Can we relate to ourselves with that kind of curiosity, but also acceptance? You know, what, what is, is what is, and we may be able to shift things or practice new things. We first want to be able to hold what is. So um, do you believe that you can belong here in this place rooted to earth? Do you believe that you can belong in this body? But even if nowhere else, um, you can find a way to belong with yourself to generate a kind of safety for yourself inside of your own body. I mean, conditions will change and we may not experience safety externally, but can you be safe enough inside of yourself to be honest? And for a lot of people, I think related to this idea of home, that would be healing a lot of what home has meant. Oh if we haven't been able to be ourselves in home or to stay in home or to know that we can belong as ourselves. Um, to me, that's the work to really be in those questions um, with our bodies and our beings and our listening and, and all the other relationships that we're in. Can we belong? Prentice is a consummate questioner, and there were so many good questions from this interview that I'm still sitting with. The question of what if we were able to put healing at the center of our culture rather than hoarding the jewels of our own individual healing experiences? The question of what would happen to these wild bodies we have if we stopped trying to control them? The question of whether joy can exist in a culture that truly lacks rhythm. You can dig into the backlog of their podcast at findingourwaypodcast.com, and you can follow them on Instagram at Prentice Hemphill. If this episode enlivened something in you or made you ask new questions, I would love it if you left a review on iTunes, or you can make a donation to the pod at hurryslowly.co slash donation. If you'd like to hear about what I'm up to and my latest offerings, courses, energy work, and other bits and bobs, you can sign up for my newsletter at hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. And I'd like to thank Matt Susich for producing this episode and Devin Craig Johnson for additional audio fine tuning. As always, thank you for listening and remember to hurry slowly. <laughs>